0: Hey, Amen. Thank you, worship team, and worship tech, and everyone who helps out with that. Can, can you guys help me give them a round of applause for, yeah. Awesome. Hey, good morning. Welcome, Mountain Park. Uh, my name is David. I'm the student ministries pastor here, and uh, I get the privilege of coming before you guys and, and sharing the word of God and, um, and telling you a little bit about what God's been telling me. And so I look forward to that today as we continue our series. Um, before that, I want to introduce you just a little bit to my family. Uh, many of you guys know me, but some of you don't. And so I'd love to tell you a little bit about my life, a little bit about my crew. And so we have a, a picture of my, my crew here. This is my family, A little uh, nook of the world. So me, uh, my wife's name is Brooke, and uh, she works with Christian Family Care. She's a foster care um, a foster care licensing worker. She works with families that, that have a passion for bringing kids in and caring for them um, for specific seasons, and so she works with those families and keeps them doing what they um, do, and, and so love her. She's um, really the backbone of me and, and um, guides our family in so many ways. That's our little man, his name is Everett. Everett, and this picture, he was one month. Um, in two days, he's gonna be five months. So he's getting bigger, and um, we're still not sleeping. Just to answer all your questions before um, you come up to me after. So, so no, he's an awesome bundle of joy, and is getting such a personality. We love seeing that. And probably the biggest personality out of our whole family is actually that little dog um, whose name is Nala. Um, she's quite the bundle of joy. She's like the perfect combo of like energy and excitement and like cuddling, you know what I mean? Does anyone have a dog that, that, that's like that? Like run, 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 but also like really cuddly and everything, yeah. Um, some dog fans in the house, anyone? Dog people? All right, awesome, we're not gonna do the comparison dog-cats, we're not gonna do that, all right? Um, we all know dogs are better, I'm just kidding. Um, and so that's my, that's my crew. I'm the student pastor here, so I get to work with anyone who's 6th grade to 12th grade. And um, I love those ages. Okay, teenagers, I know many of you guys, especially you parents who have teenagers, are like pulling your hair out, but I love them. I think they're awesome. I love working with teens and reconciling this gospel and the message of Christ in their season of life. And I love working with teens because although it's true of all of us, um, teens can wear their mess on their sleeve. You know what I mean? Um, Teens, uh, working with students, uh, it can be messy and I'm messy, and I like um, coming before the Lord and saying, Lord, we're messy, but we give it all to you. Um, Work in us, bring us to wholeness, and use us. And I love seeing that come to life working with students, and so I love what I do here, and I thank you for giving me the opportunity to do it. And so, with that, um, we're gonna go ahead, we're gonna dive into week three of a series that we've been going through called Road Trip, but I wanna come before the Lord, I wanna pray first. Can you pray with me? All right, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us, for leading us, for using us, and Lord, I thank you for this story that we're gonna be unpacking today, that we're gonna be uh, challenged and and that you're gonna uh, lead us through. And Lord, I pray that you speak, Lord, not me, but you. We pray all of this in your great and in your mighty name, amen, amen. Hey, two weeks ago, we started this series called Road Trip, I love it, I love summers, I love road trips, and Alan uh, challenged us to this idea that God is going to be sending us on our next great adventure. And maybe that's as a community, as a church, sometimes it looks like that, but also in our own personal walks, in our own personal lives, what is the next great adventure that God has for you? What is God doing right now is building up and is stirring up that is your next great adventure? And then last week we had uh, Don Doe come and speak, and I love Don. And I love hearing his heart, and he talked about, he, he, he began to get us into um, Paul's first missionary journey, because this whole series, we're, we're walking through what is Paul's first missionary journey. And as we were talking about being sent by God on that great adventure, Don talked about how when we're sent by God, we will face opposition, that there will be opposition on our journey, and how do we face that opposition that we meet? Now, this week, we're gonna be talking about what do we do before we leave for that great adventure? What does that wait period look like? And what are we called to do up until we set out for our great adventure? And what does that look like? Now, I don't know about you guys, but I've been known that when we're going on a trip as a family, or maybe just even myself or with our youth group, um, when we're going on a trip, I'm the type of person who is packed and is ready to go like three hours before I actually need to leave, right? And um, I'm that kind of person. I'm not the kind of person who throws everything together at the last minute. I'm a planner and I like to have everything ready to go and I put it all together and I'm ready and it's like, I have two more hours. And I have zero things to do. And so I find myself getting very anxious when I'm waiting to leave for something. Um, Any other anxious Nancys, whenever it's time to go on a trip or something, you get everything together. And then you even find yourself like pacing, right? Like it's like an hour left to go and you're just like going back and forth in the living room, like burning a hole in the rug. And um, I get to a point almost, sometimes it depends on the size of the trip or what we're doing. And some of you, this is like totally foreign, right? You're like, no, like I'm not this way at all but sometimes I get so anxious that like literally my stomach gets upset, right? Like I'll I'll get like um, upset stomach, like just because I'm waiting to leave and I'm not leaving yet. And then I get to the airport and I wait for like four hours, right? Um, And and so this is my struggle and i found that I'm not alone in this, right? I know there's other people who are like this and you don't have to poke your neighbor. Um, I know that there's other people that are like this, but I'm also uh, the same way when it comes to my faith walk. There's been many times in my life where in conversations with the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, I know you're doing something. I know you're calling me to something. I know that you have a great adventure for me and yet you're telling me to wait. It's not here yet. I'm having to wait for it. And oftentimes in those moments, I get anxious. I get upset. And I even oftentimes find myself praying, Lord, please bring it faster. Like, can I leave Faster, can you bring me to this thing faster? What do you have for me, and can I go now? And the Lord responds, no, right? It's no, there's a reason for the waiting, and there's stuff that I have for you to do in the waiting. And it's not to pace, and it's not to be anxious, but I have something for you. And I think that this isn't just true of me, I think this is very much true of all of us, that when we're following after the Lord, and when the Lord is calling us to something, and maybe it's small, maybe it's that, go talk to that neighbor, but maybe it's big. Maybe the Lord has something big for you. And I believe he, throughout our lifetimes, does have big things for us. What does our wait period look like? And the, the title of this message and what I wanna call us to over and over and over, we're gonna unpack this as we go through Paul's first, first missionary journey. But the idea here is that in our waiting, We're called to eat this book. I know that's weird, okay? I know some of you are like, what? Did he just say what I think he said? And no, we're not like at the end of the service gonna have like this communion where we're like tearing out pages and like, right? It's not like that. But the idea of today is in our waiting, we are called to eat this book. And what does that mean? What does that look like? It's not just a, we read it, but it's this idea that the story of God is something that we're called to read and digest and make a part of us. That we're called not just to, to read this book up until we leave for that great mission. But we're called to become uh, a part of it and to identify with it. And so as we go through today, that's what we're gonna be talking about. Now I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles, even if you got one on your phone, you can pull that out. And we're gonna turn to Acts chapter 13, verse 13. Okay, so 13, 13, Acts. And if you don't have a Bible, it's totally cool, we're gonna put it up on the screen. You can read from whatever version you want. Um, I'm gonna be reading from the ESV, and so you can follow along with that. They're all kind of the same, they say the same thing when it all dwindles down to it. So, Acts chapter 13, verse 13, and we're gonna start right there, right as they're changing cities on their missionary journey. And so, here we go, at verse 13, it says this. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and John left them and he returned to Jerusalem. That's what Don talked about last week, is that one of the teammates left and returned back home. But they, Paul and his crew, they went on to Perga and came to Antioch and Pisidia. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and they sat down. Pause. Don't miss what Paul and his companions are doing in this notion right here. This is their strategy. Okay, this is their strategy for ministry. Say strategy on three with me, okay? One, two, three, strategy. Yeah, this is their strategy. I work with students, so I'm gonna make you guys talk back to me, okay? Um, This is their strategy right here. And check this out. This is the same strategy that Jesus used in the Gospels, that they would go to, on the Sabbath, they would go to the synagogues, and they would show up, and they would sit down, and they would be a part of the synagogue service. And they do this because part of their service is kind of like this open mic type thing, okay? Except without the mic. Um, And so they would uh, have a time after the the priests would do the readings and the things of the sort and the teaching, uh, they would open it up to the floor to specific people who were qualified, they didn't completely open it up, but qualified teachers had an opportunity to speak. And Paul and Jesus and other people of the sort would use this as an opportunity to come before people who don't know Jesus and talk about Jesus. Right? Pretty cool. Makes sense. And so this is their strategy for ministry. So Paul shows up into this town, Pisidia, and he goes to the uh, to the uh, to the tabernacle, to the uh, synagogue, and he sits down on Sabbath day. And we continue in verse 15. Here we go. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So Paul stood up. Bum, bum, bum. It's about to go down, right? It's like the showdown. It's about to happen. Paul's about to start blowing out Jesus. No, in this moment, anything can happen. In this moment, Paul could do so many things. And if I were to take myself and put myself in Paul's shoes, I start to calculate, what would I do right now? Right, I'm, I'm on this great adventure, and here's my time, here's my opportunity, here's my moment to catch him. What would I do? Maybe I would, like, make this really cool, like, home Bible study, and then I would, like, announce it in the synagogue. Hey, just a heads up, this is a really cool gathering, but back at my place, we got a really cool Bible study, right? Like, I don't know, maybe, you know, he just shows up and he just starts um, going at it. He just says, hey, Jesus, you know, you guys are off, you guys are off track, it's all about Jesus, it's all about Jesus, and, and all of that's cool, but really, Jesus is what matters, and you completely murdered him, so congratulations, right? Um, what does Paul do? What does Paul say in this moment? This is what he says. He tells the story of God. And as we look at the the following verses here from 17 on through the rest of this chapter, Paul does this so intricate, so beautiful job of unpacking the story of God. And he actually starts it, like the opening line is is like, hey you guys, um, we serve the same God. We serve the God that is the God that was over Israel in Egypt. We serve the same God who took those people out of Egypt from the Exodus and led them to their promised land. We serve the same God who led over the judges that were of that nation. We serve the same God who even led through kings, even though that's not the way God wanted it. We serve that same God. We serve the God of David. And this is like, he would have been saying all of these things. And the Jewish people in the synagogue would have been like, yes. Yes, we do. Yeah, God's awesome. This is our God. Because this is all part of their story. They would have been all on board. And then Paul does something really interesting. He jumps from talking about David to Jesus. He says, Jesus, who showed up just some short years ago, is of the same bloodline as the King David that you guys love so much. That that Jesus was the same Jesus who was prophesied amongst the nations during the exile. That Jesus was forecasted by John the Baptist himself. That Jesus, that he's part of God's story. Now, the moment he would have started talking about Jesus, some of these Jewish leaders would have started getting pretty upset, right? They were all on board when he was talking about the story of God that they know. But now that he's starting to unpack the story of God, including Jesus, this is where things start to get a little messy, right? And he starts to connect Jesus with the rest of the story. And you know, what's so interesting about Paul here is he's not like, oh, let me, let me tell you the story, hang on, let me go refer back to all of your guys' teachings, let me open your books, no. Paul's just talking. He's just telling them the story of God that that he identifies with so closely and just starts to unpack this story that he loves so much. You see, Paul knew the story. Paul read the story and Paul told the story because it was so close to him. Now in this moment... These people in the room, in the synagogue, they're at a crossroads. They've heard everything that Paul's saying. They're hearing Paul's teachings. They're hearing God, uh, Paul unpack this story of God. And in this moment, they can listen to Paul and they can say, he's telling the truth. Or they can say, this guy's a liar. They're at a crossroads and they have to decide, is it true say that with me is it true When one two three is it true we're met with that same question and as a believer i don't think that that's a bad question i think that's a good question that grows our faith when we say yes That as we're unpacking, we're in this waiting period, and I told you eat this book, and so you go back and you start to dig into the story of God as told by the word of God and and, and our our present living, that you start to unpack the story of God. And you're asking yourself, you're gonna read some stuff right in here that's kinda weird, right? There's some weird, crazy stuff that happens in God's story. And we run upon the same question that these leaders in the synagogue were asking themselves 2,000 years ago. And that question is, is it true? Because we can know the story, right? There's a lot of stories we can know. And I can know the story of God and not believe it's true, right? But to know it and to believe that it's true, oh, it's the most powerful story ever. And when we say, yes, this story is true, it changes Everything. When we say yes, the God that was over Israel is true. It's not just a story, but that's a reality. Oh, that's awesome. When the God who led the nation in the promised land is true, huh, oh, that changes everything. When we worship the God that's true, that sent his son to live, to die, and to rise again for us, that that's true. We can't look at that and say it's true and not change our lives. When we look at the God and we say, the God who's still working amongst the church and is leading and is guiding and will fully usher in his kingdom with Jesus' return. When we look at that we say, it's true. It changes everything. You know what I'm saying? It's powerful. That story being true is powerful. And Paul knows this, and he's trying to impress this upon the people. And as we continue to read the dialogue, the teaching that he's giving the people, he, he enters um, where he's talking about the story, he's talking about the story, and then he starts to press it upon them. He starts to challenge them with the story. Now, what does this mean for you? Check this out. Down in verse 26, if you're still with your Bibles, go back to him. Sorry if you turned them off. Sorry if you closed them. Back at Acts chapter 13, verse 26. He says this, brothers sons of the family of Abraham, fellow Jewish people, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus here, because they did not recognize him, nor did they understand the utterances of the prophets, they, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning them. Okay, some confusing words here. Essentially what he's saying is this message of salvation, this story, because it's true, I'm not just telling you a story for the fun of it. I'm not saying the story's for you. I'm saying the story, because it's true, is a message of salvation, and it's for you, and it's for everyone. This true story is for you, and the the, the ironic thing is that the Jewish leaders that were in Jerusalem When Jesus came and led and did his ministry, those Jewish leaders looked at Jesus and they said, not true, they said, crazy man, they said, false prophet. And because they said he's not true, in murdering him, they fulfilled the truth that we needed for it to be the message of salvation. That's kind of ironic, right? It's kind of humorous, almost. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, you can say true or not true. The Jewish leaders in Jerusalem, they said not true, and look what it got them, fulfilled prophecies, right? But you decide, is this story just a story, or is it true, because if it is, it changes everything. It's not just a story for here, but it's a story for here. We can know lots of stories, right? How many of you guys know your American history? You have any history buffs in the, like, in the room? Yeah, true stories, right? A lot of that is truth, we have evidence of that, we have documentation of that, right? We have documentation of that. And we can look at that and we can say, true story, yeah, that's true story. But it doesn't have the same impact that the fact that this story is true, God's story is true, it doesn't have the same weight. Because this story being true, that changes everything. You see, Paul knew this story Paul told the story, and he told it and he knew it as truth. And that matters in our lives. Now, we continue on as as we're reading and as we're teaching in this. And the fact that you know it and you know it as truth is great. That's all great stuff. But the final thing this comes to boil down to is this. You might know the story, and you might even say, I know the story and I know it's true, or at least at some point in my life I said it was true and I lived, lived like that. But are you living your lives right now as if it's true? Um, a story on, on truth that from, from my childhood, uh, I grew up with two older siblings and everyone loves older siblings, right? And uh, my older siblings, I had an older sister and then my brother, who was four and a half years older than I was. And so my older brother was always bigger than I was. Um, he was always taller and always more muscular. And so about 99.9% of the time, he always won the fights. You know what I'm saying? That's how kind of things happen in my house. And uh, there was this one time where, where we were younger and we were sitting down in the basement we were playing. And my brother had this really, really cool toy and the toy was a He-Man sword, all right? Now, um, if you guys don't know He-Man, for anyone who wasn't like late 80s, 90s, uh, for you who don't know He-Man, I'm sorry. Um, He's just like the coolest guy in the history of shows, right? Um, And like five times more buff than he actually needed to be. Well, He-Man had this really cool sword, and my brother had this little mock play He-Man sword and it would make all the cool sounds and noises, and, and so it had batteries, it was pretty weighty, it was pretty heavy. Well, I was poking and prodding and messing with my brother and picking on him, and I wanted to play with this sword, right? And, and so, Aaron, Aaron, please, you know, let me play, let me play. You've played enough, let me play with your sword. And my brother, who had a, a, a short temper, um, could get angered easily, kept saying, no, you know, it's mine right now, I'm playing, leave me alone. And I kept going and kept going and so, I'm definitely at fault to some extent in this, in this story. But my brother who finally blows his cap, right, he finally just loses it, he says, I'm, I'm over this. He takes the sword, and we're standing like kind of across the room from one another. He takes the sword and he tomahawks it over his head straight at me, all right? And so all I see coming at me is like this gray plastic play sword tumbling through the air, it's big, it's little, it's big, it's little, it's big, it's little, right? And it's coming straight from my face. And I have a split second to react, and like anyone who cares for their face, um, I uh, immediately cover my head, I duck down, and the sword flies straight where my face was. Okay, he was a pretty good shot, he, he threw pretty well. And this sword goes right over my head and straight into the drywall, that I was standing in front of. And so this this sword buries itself into our basement wall. And it's just sticking out, right? Just hanging out. Half of it's in, half of it's out. And me and my brother, we quickly, we look at the sword. We look at each other. Look at the sword. We look at each other. And in that moment, which felt like eternity, we were evaluating every consequence that was gonna befall us in the whooping that was going to be a part of our near future, right? Because of what we'd done. And so without saying a word, we both know what we need to do. We immediately, after about four seconds of calculating, we immediately run as fast as we can up the stairs to get to our parents first. Because obviously if you get to your parents first, you're right. You know, and you're not in trouble at all. And so we're, we're running, we're racing to get up to my parents and... and We're running up the stairs, and I don't know if any of you guys did this cruel, cruel thing, but I think I was first, and we were running up the stairs, and my brother would reach out and grab my ankle, and so if you're running and someone grabs your ankle, you just like face plant like straight onto the stairs, right? And then he's like, anyone ever had that done to them? It's the worst, right? Because not only are you face planting, but you carpet burns all over. And so then my brother's like wrestling over me, like climbing up over me so he can be first. And we run all the way upstairs and we get to my mom. We're both kind of out of breath. And we both start yelling and, and telling our side of the story. And it's just a mumbo jumbo of mess of, of words. And my mom says, calm down, boys, 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 calm down, calm down. One at a time, Aaron, please tell me your side of the story. And Aaron begins to unpack his side of the story, which is David is annoying. I asked him to leave me alone. He wouldn't leave me alone. He kept pestering me. He kept pestering me. I told him that something was gonna happen. And, and then I just lost it, Mom. And I knew I was wrong when I threw the sword, but then, but, but he ducked. <laughs> like, I quote, right? Like, he ducked. If he wouldn't have ducked, then this whole issue wouldn't have been a problem, right? His face would have taken the impact. It was literally my brother's reasoning, okay? And and my mom somehow stays cool and collected. Okay. Uh, David, go ahead. And so I begin to tell my side of the story, and my side of the story is, um, well, Aaron, you know, I just was, I wanted to play with his sword and he's just so, you know, uh, selfish. He just wanted to play and play and play and he never gave me a chance and he threw the sword in my face, you know? And, and of course, I tried to make this drama much bigger than maybe it even was. Um, and in that moment, in that moment, my mom had to decide which is true, which in reality, both were kind of extrapolations of the truth on their own sides, Right? But the truth matters. And knowing the truth matters. And it changes how we live our lives, especially in this story. And talking about the way it changes how we live our lives. Oftentimes as believers, I know this to be truth more than anyone. Oftentimes as believers, we can fall asleep behind the wheel. Especially if we've been in it for a while we know the story, we read the story, we tell the story. <laughs> and at some point in our lives, we said, yeah, this story's true, and because it's true, yeah, it's, it's important for life, it changes things. But we fall asleep behind the wheel, we get to our destination, and we don't even remember driving in the first place. We lose the power of the fact that it's true. We lose the impact of the fact that it's a true story. And our lives begin to change because of that. And I think what that looks like is this. I think it looks like this. I think it's saying, hey, God, you know, Jesus, come into my life. And, and hey, here's certain things that, God, I would love for you to work on. Here's some of my mess. But I'm gonna hide this stuff over here. This stuff right here, it's too messy. Or I don't want you to mess with that. So you can, you can lead here and get me all ready for my great adventure, God. You know, come in. I'm going to eat the book, um, change my life. You know, you can, you can get me ready for my great adventure over here, but I'm going I'm to keep this stuff hidden because it's just a little too messy. And that's not how it works. That's not the message of salvation that Paul is telling. That's not the story. Check this out. He ends, finishes up with this in verse 38. He says, let it be known to you therefore, brothers, that through this man, Jesus, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, say this with me, by him, everyone, say everyone, everyone "Everyone who believes is freed from everything, say everything, everything, from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Everyone, everything. When we eat this book, when not only do we read it and we know it and we tell it and we even believe it's true, but when we truly process what this story means for our lives, every sin, every mess, every dark corner, every crevice of our lives is conquered by Jesus Christ. And sometimes we say, I believe it's to be true, come on in, but we hide things. Maybe it's, maybe it's our addictions. Maybe it's, it's the way we live at school or work. Maybe it's our selfish desires and our pride, because we really like those things. And we don't live our lives as if the story is true. And so the question for all of us is, we're waiting for this great adventure. We're waiting for God to lead. We're waiting for what God has next for us. But in that waiting, are we willing to give up our anxiety? Are we willing to eat this book? And what does that mean? It means to know it. It means to tell it. It means to process it, digest it, make it ourselves, uh, become an identity with it because God's story is in this book but it's also happening all around us and it's still so much more still to happen. Do we identify with that story or do we just act like we do? Our worship team is gonna come up and they're gonna close us with a song that I, I heard a few weeks ago and I think is incredibly powerful to this topic. And, and, and in my life, it's, it's been a great reminder over the last few weeks that this story is true. And because of its truth, it changes everything. And am I willing to eat the book, to do the work, so that God can send me on that great adventure in the way that he's calling me to be on? And maybe you have some places in your life where maybe it's just simply, I wanna get into the word more. I wanna be more attuned to God's story happening around me and unfolding around me. But maybe it's, yeah, I know the story and I've committed my life to Christ and I've led him into certain places in my life, but I'm not really eating the book in its entirety. I'm not letting it into every place in my life. So maybe there's a challenge for you this morning to say, what's the small crevices that I need to let Jesus into? And what's that look like for you? And uh, I'm gonna pray for us as we head into this song. And then I'm gonna ask you guys to stand and to to sing the song or to to listen to what the song has for us. And so go ahead and stand and I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna close in worship here. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, not just a, a printed Bible, but Lord, I thank you for your unfolding story. And Lord, you call us out into the story to be a part of it, to play a role. And Lord, I thank you for for that. And I I ask that you make that role evident, Lord, that you make that role clear to us, that you make that great adventure really obvious to us. Because Lord, sometimes we don't see it. But Lord, in our waiting, may you help us eat this book. Because sometimes it's not easy. Lord, sometimes it's really, really hard to really let this book come into our lives and change all the parts of our life. May you help us with that, Lord. May you continue to teach us through this series, Lord. We love you, we devote our lives to you, and in your name we pray, amen.